So today's gospel reading is from the book of Mark, uh, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44 in the NIV. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all of the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had, a, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is, this is a remote place, he said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to them, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give, them to, give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups in, hundreds of, in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also decided, divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Thank you, Teresa. Let us pray. Holy God, speak to me, speak through me, speak in spite of me, that your holy word might be heard clearly this morning. In Christ's name, amen. What do you have? A little or a lot? What's your attitude about scarcity and abundance? How do you view your life as one that's half full or half empty? This morning I want to look at this very familiar scripture passage, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 from the perspective of those themes. What do you have? Many of us have experienced scarcity at one point or another in our lives, haven't we? When money was tight, newsflash, one thing I've discovered as I've gotten older is that that deep feeling of scarcity is not limited to the poor. Some of the richest people I know, at least in terms of material things, always think they're running out of money. I don't get it. That thing they have the most of. <laughs> what do you have? Did you know that this feeding of the 5,000 miracle is the only miracle of Jesus' public ministry that is in all four Gospels? It's the only one. There's lots of miracles recorded. We know that even as we've been going through Mark, miracle after miracle after miracle. But this is the only one that all four gospel writers thought was important enough to put in their gospels. I wonder why. 
I wonder why. Well, it is a pretty amazing story, isn't it? I suppose it's because it's a little bit hard to believe, especially if he realizes that the, the loaves that they used in that day and age were more like this size, like, like buns or pita breads. And the fish they were talking about were probably small fish, panfish, or maybe even like sardines, smoked or salted or preserved in some way. Did Jesus really feed 5,000 people with just that little amount of bread and that little amount of fish? You know, some biblical scholars who don't accept the miraculous and don't even accept the possibility of that miraculous thing happening think that Jesus had carefully prepared for this event by devious means, filling up caverns, caves, his robe maybe with lots of bread and food and fish and his disciples helped him distribute it and so it was just a big hoax by Jesus in other words but you know hoaxers charlatans well they're they're getters not givers aren't they <laughs> they wouldn't give themselves willingly to the cross for any of us so I don't buy that one what do you have? Perhaps a little more plausible natural explanation is that this was an ethical miracle. The boy who shared what he had, well, he gave his lunch to Jesus and people saw that and set an example to others. In fact, he probably embarrassed others by the fact that he was willing to give up his lunch. And amazingly, then they all shared and there was plenty for everybody. Or Perhaps this is a miracle in which the presence of Jesus, his teaching, his preaching, which was phenomenal, turned this crowd of selfish people, selfish men and women, into a caring and sharing bunch. So we have the miracle of changed human behavior. Now, there certainly were those ethical teachings in this story, that's for sure. And those ethical teachings would tell us a lot and direct us to do things much differently in our own lives as a society, as a country, they would tell us that we could, well, we could feed the world if we chose to. We could feed the world. I remember way back when I was doing my senior project in college and extracting alfalfa protein. I remember I calculated as part of that project that you could grow enough alfalfa protein in about half of the size of the state of Texas to supply all the protein needs for everyone in the world. We can feed the world if we choose to. The reason people are hungry in this world is not because of scarcity, it's because we choose, or our systems choose for us, admittedly, some of those things seem way beyond our control, but we can at least, like the little boy, share our lunch. We can at least do that. And we do, and you do, thank God, for the many ministries in this church where we feed people. Thank you for that example. Now, the rational part of me would love to accept one of those natural explanations for this miracle. But, you know, as I look closely at the text as the story in all the Gospels, but certainly it seems to me here that Mark is saying that this is anything but natural. It's anything but 
a natural event. It is a supernatural event. Perhaps that's why it's in all four Gospels, because not only did those five small loaves and those two small fish feed 5,000 men, the text tells us there were 5,000 men, there probably were also that many or more women and children. And notice too that Mark says that they all ate and they were satisfied, or they were filled. By the way, that's that's the same word, underlying word used there that is in Luke's version of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled or you will be satisfied. And Luke does so well in connecting real world stuff, real hunger with spiritual hunger. And that's why the, the full gospel of Jesus Christ is feeding people physically and spiritually. So the mystery of this miracle, it even gets deeper, doesn't it? As all the disciples, when it was all over, picked up the remains and they filled all these baskets, 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, and they were big baskets. So I think we need to resist the temptation that, well, we always have this temptation to bring Jesus down to our level to bring the Bible down to our level, to reduce the scripture to our human understanding. We need to resist the temptation to think that this is strictly a natural miracle. Because, well, Jesus was truly incarnate in human form. We believe that, right? If Jesus really did rise from the grave, if Jesus really is present when we celebrate communion, then with Jesus, this story is not only possible, it's probable. And anything else that Jesus is involved with is possible. Continuing on in the story, verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he, Jesus, gave thanks and broke the loaves. It seems a little bit like a communion prayer, doesn't it? Seems a little bit like a communion prayer. In a way it was, because this was no mere prayer of thanksgiving. Jesus was calling on God to work a miracle. And to work and work that miracle, God certainly did, didn't he? And you know, when we give thanks for communion, when we break the bread, we too are calling on God to work a miracle, to make the bread and the juice into the body and blood of Jesus Christ so that he's really present. And that takes a miracle. <laughs> it's the only way it happens. That takes a miracle of God. So yes, just like those ethical miracles that occurred when the little boy shared and changed the hearts of people in the crowd, we are changed by communion. That's a miracle too, but it's not the only miracle. As far as Mark and all the gospel writers are concerned, this miracle points to an even greater miracle, and that is that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, using Mark's language. That's the greater miracle that all this reveals. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, the miracle of communion also points to those greater miracles that Jesus is, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, our Savior. He has died. He has risen. He will come again. And he, his real presence, 
His real presence will come again this morning when we celebrate communion together. What do you have? Enough to share? Enough to be satisfied? One ethical teaching contained in this story is simply that to be satisfied, we have to share. (laughs) That's worth saying again. To be satisfied, we have to share. We feed people at this church. Why? Well, simply because Jesus did, but Jesus fed them physically and spiritually. He didn't just feed them physically. That's the difference between a a church food program and a government food program or any other food program. We feed them physically and spiritually. And anything without the other, any part of that without the other is not the complete gospel message. It's not the complete gospel message because Jesus did both. Let's look at that a little further in verse 34. See what I mean that Jesus was feeding people spiritually. Verse 34, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them. Jesus is moved by compassion. The word behind that word compassion that we translate into English, I think it's only applied only to Jesus throughout the New Testament. Only to, it's like a, a divine empathy when he sees people in pain. And why did he have compassion? Well, he saw sheep without a shepherd, it says. They were like sheep without a shepherd. <laughs> Ever seen sheep without a shepherd? Some of you are farmers and have seen sheep. Seen sheep get loose. And one sheep goes this way and they all go this way. And another sheep goes this way and they all go that way. And another sheep goes this way and they all go that way. When Jesus saw the people acting like that, he, he wasn't angry. He had compassion on them, it says. He had compassion. And you know, all the images we have of the Messiah in the Bible and the prophecies and elsewhere, there's many of them, but the one that consistently strikes a chord with me is that of Jesus the Good Shepherd. When Jesus saw people acting like that, he had compassion on them. So what did he do? Immediately, it says he started teaching them. He had compassion on them, and then he started teaching them. (laughs) You know, the the primary duty of a pastor is to feed the sheep, to teach and to preach God's word. By By the way, pastor, the word pastor in Latin basically means shepherd. We get our word pasture, grazing land, from that same root word. You can see the connection better in that word. The primary purpose, the primary duty of a pastor is to feed the sheep, to preach the word. Some think it's counseling, some think it's administration, some think it's a lot of other things, and Lord knows we all have to do some of those things. But the primary purpose is to feed the sheep. It's the primary duty. And coincidentally or not, that's what I love to do best. That's why, that's why I became a pastor. And that model is borne out throughout the Bible, that's for sure, teaching and preaching. 
You remember when Jesus said to Peter after the resurrection, he said, Peter, do you love me? What did he tell Peter? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. My primary job as a pastor is to feed and nurture you all with the word of God. And then our primary job as a church is to feed people both physically and spiritually. And one without the other is not the complete gospel. So in verse 34, when Jesus said he saw this large crowd, he had compassion on them, he began teaching them. He began teaching them. Now this is a really important part of this story that we might just overlook because it gets overshadowed by the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. We just missed this important point of this story, but I don't want you to miss it. Because Jesus was already feeding the people when this miracle occurs. Did you notice that? Jesus was already feeding them. When evening comes, the disciples say to Jesus, send them away to the villages so they can get something to eat. Jesus says, no, you feed them. I've been feeding them all day. You feed them. It's your turn. (laughs) And the disciples say, where are we going to get the money? Take a half a year's wages to do that. (laughs) How many times have we heard that before? with programs and missions of the church. Where are we going to get the money? We don't have the money to accomplish this thing or that thing that Jesus wants us to do. So Jesus just replies to the disciples, well, what do you have? What do you have? Take an inventory. And so the disciples did that. They they checked and they come back to Jesus. We've checked and all, all we have is these few loaves and a couple of fish. And Jesus said, well, let me bless it. Let me bless it. And let's see what God does when you give what you have. Give it to God and get out of the way. Just see what miracle will result when you give what you have. Jesus said to his disciples, what do you have? Jesus says to us, what do we have? Take an inventory. What do you have? A little or a lot? (laughs) The disciples obeyed Jesus and they distributed what little they had. They shared. And you know, there's something interesting about sharing. That turns our attitudes of scarcity into abundance. Just that simple act of sharing what we have. The disciples obeyed Jesus. They distributed what little they thought they had. And Jesus blessed it, probably using a prayer format that was and still is very common in Judaism. Blessed are you, O Lord, King of the universe, at whose word all came into being. Blessed are you, O Lord, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. We thank you, Lord, for you have provided us our daily bread Do those lines sound familiar? Those of you who have been watching The Chosen have seen that pattern over and over again when Jesus prays or when the people pray on the Shabbat. Jesus probably used a pattern like that. 
And interestingly enough, I incorporated those words into our preparation words for communion this morning in your program. Our singers can start working their way forward at this time. I'm just about to wrap this up and get ready for communion. So, so far this morning, I have been feeding you. In a moment, he will feed you from his own table. You are invited. He will feed you just like he fed the 5,000 out of compassion for you. He will feed you just like he fed the 5,000. And they all ate and were satisfied. Come to this table this morning. Bring your deepest needs. Allow him to satisfy the deepest hunger of your souls. <laughs>